This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, am I allowed a question on The Taylor Stevens Show that's just totally self-serving? Steve, this is your show as much as it is mine. (laughs) Well, you know... Self-serve away. (laughs) You know, a couple of weeks ago, we started... You were lovingly eviscerating, uh, eviscerating some some material that I sent you. And at the beginning of this two-part episode, you said, this is the first part and there's going to be more. So I'm just like curious, where's the rest? I know, right? So we've had to put the Hack the Craft podcasts on hold temporarily because I uh, missed my deadline (laughs) for uh, the second book in the Liar's Paradox series. Um, As anybody who's listened to this show knows, I lost like four or more months over the summer of just utter chaos. um, And I'm way behind. And I was, I've been ever since summer ended, um, working my tail off. I mean, just putting in incredible hours and starting to really make progress now on this book. But I knew that I wasn't going to make that deadline. And so um, I was able to get a small extension. And I'm just, I don't know how I'm going to have this book finished in time. But I'm putting everything I have into it. And that leaves me no time for other editing projects. So Everything is on hold except for these podcasts because, you know, they're pretty quick. And Steve does most of the work. Thank you, Steve. Everybody give Steve a big, huge round of applause. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So I I have to say, but I do want to go back to them. I do plan to still get back into them once I've got this sort of settled. But we might not be looking. I mean, because even though my, my deadline is in November, but... Uh, it might be still chaos after that for a little bit. So once I finally got the ground under my feet again, we're going to go back to getting those hack the craft line editing video tutorials done for the podcast. All right. And speaking of November, for people who are longtime listeners of the podcast, you know that, oh, around the end of the year last year, I started really badgering Taylor about coming to Las Vegas for the 20 Books Conference. And at that time, she said, no, I'm not coming. <laughs> and you've just heard her talk about her deadline. So, no, she's not coming. But that does <laughs> not stop at least two of us for holding, from holding the first Las Vegas Taylor Stevens fan club meeting on November 8th. Minus Taylor Stevens. Minus Taylor <laughs> Stevens. Taylor will not be there. So Taylor is not one of the fans who is going to be there. So Joan who is a longtime listener of the show and just a a real blessing to both of us because whenever I forget to post the show or something goes wrong, she is the first person to let me know. So Joan and I are going to get together somewhere in Las Vegas on November 8th. And if you want to join us, 
let me know, let Taylor know, and um, we'll, we'll organize this maybe rapidly growing Taylor Stevens fan club in Las Vegas. That'd be so cool. I'm so glad you guys are doing that. And I, I just want to be able to like maybe record something while we're there and just talk about like waiting for Taylor to show up and maybe she's going <laughs> to surprise us and things like that. No. Because <laughs> I think that'd be fun. No. We could go actually wait at the airport. We could hold the meeting at the airport waiting for Taylor. No. No? All right. <laughs> so we'll do, we'll, do, we'll do something else. But if you're going to be in Las Vegas on November 8th, uh, let us know. And uh, we will get you hooked in for the meeting, for the fan club meeting. And we'll have minutes and everything. We'll probably post the minutes on the website. And this is going to be big, big. I'm sitting here with with my hand, my my face in my hands, just shaking my hands. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't even imagine what Joan's going to say about you not being there. She's she's much more forgiving than I am. So she'll probably be really nice about it. been trying to get me there um, for the Las Vegas Book Festival for years now, mm-hmm. and it's just never, it's never worked. And uh, I keep thinking maybe next year, maybe next year. Um, and a lot goes into that because I gotta, you know, make sure I can get myself an invitation. And then, you know, there's the cost and everything associated with it. And I'm just, I'm nowhere near able to do that right now. So. La dee da dee da. So anyway, Joan yeah, yeah. and I will be there having this fan club meeting, and then when it's over. I'll start trying to badger you into coming next year if there's going to be another 20 books. Right. Conference. This is our ritual. And right. we'll, we'll actually then we'll tie it in. It'll be 20 books and the Taylor Stevens fan club meeting in Las Vegas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the local chapter, not the mm-hmm. national chapter. No. Speaking of the Taylor Stevens fan club, cue the promotional music. You have a book coming out. I know this will be a shock to some of our listeners. <laughs> yes. So we're going to we're going to talk about um, Liar's Paradox today. That's fun. I have some questions. Ooh, I love questions. <laughs> now, I have read the book and and you have mentioned multiple times that it's different than anything else that's out there. Let's go back in time to when you first conceived the idea for the book. Why this particular idea? Okay. When I first conceived the idea for this book, I was scrambling because I had just learned that my publisher did not want to continue the Monroe series, but they wanted to keep working with me. uh, And they were like, give us a couple ideas. And I was just like pitching, just like, okay, what about this? What about that? What about this? And they settled on something that was not Liar's Paradox. And a year of drama later, I decided to end up writing it anyway and, you know, found a new publisher. But it it came down to a decision of what do I do next? Like Monroe is such a hard character to follow up. And I didn't want to write her again, like to, to pretend that I was writing her in another book you know, dress it up and give it a different name and maybe a different gender, but now I'm still just writing a Monroe. At the same time, I didn't want to write a, um, the, the, there's so many CIA, FBI, detectives, uh, special forces, whatever characters that are out there. And 
most of those books are written by people who have some experience in that realm. And it's not that I couldn't fake it or couldn't do the research to get it done. It's just that there's so much already out there. I would be one more, have one more character to join the fray, so to speak. And it was a, a, a toss up because there is a benefit to writing what is familiar to readers. And in fact, I was told by somebody in the industry, it's really hard to sell and market a book that doesn't have your traditional, you know, it's not categorized as a military thriller or an espionage thriller. And so much of publishing is how do you market it? That's the distribution channel discussion. So I had to make that decision. Do I try and branch off and do what everybody else is doing? Or do I take the risk and continue to do what nobody else is doing? And I decided to go the hard way and do what nobody else was doing because that's what I'm known for. So then it was a situation of, well, what, who, where, how, why? And a long time ago, I don't know, I was maybe only writing the third Monroe story at the time. I'd had this idea of a pair, um, a male-female pair that was upside down in the expectations where the male was more the, um, the brains and the female was the brawn. Now, what I had in mind back then actually was also physical, like a guy who was maybe, you know, six foot nine and a girl who was five foot two or something, you know, to just turn it completely upside down on his head. That's not what we got. But that's where the seed for that came from. And I, you know, it came from, well, then it was a matter of, okay, so let's say I want to turn this on its head. Well, what what else do we have? If I'm going to go different anyway, what else do we have in thrillers that is missing? And I got to thinking about how in mainstream fiction, like literary fiction or upscale women's fiction, we get a lot of exploration of family dysfunction. You know, the person who's been away for you know, 20 years decide that somebody dies and they go home and they've got all these deep family buried secrets and slowly it starts to unfold. And, you know, you get to explore all this crap that was on in the past. Um, you see that a lot, just the, the dysfunction, the, the conflict in families, whatever. But in thrillers, you don't really get that. You get, um, if, if you're going to see family in thrillers, it's usually a sense of, uh, the wife who's there to support the husband and kind of humanize him, or a child gets kidnapped to create that ticking time, ticking time bomb, or there's a recent divorce in the main character's um, background and he's struggling to have time with his daughter and that's creating conflict in his life with his work. You know, those are the types of things we see, but we don't actually see the exploration of family dysfunction. So I thought, well, what would happen if you took that extreme family dysfunction? I mean, you know, extreme where you're dealing with really ugly, narcissistic behavior, um, parents who don't seem to be capable of truly accepting their kids, just all of the ugliness, and you put it into a family of assassins where everybody is capable of killing the other person 
and often wants to. Um, those were the characters driving the story. And that's kind of the seed of where it all came from. Now, it took me three tries, I think, before I finally got it right, because I, I was just like scrambling when I started it, didn't have a story, didn't have, just had this idea. And an idea is not the same thing as a story, and it's not the same thing as a plot. And it's all like, well, why why are bad things happening? You know, what what's going on? And it, it, it was quite an interesting writing process because I it took me so long to figure it out. But once I did figure it out, it really kind of fell into place. All right. I remember reading the beginning of what I think was the first version of this a couple of years ago. I remember where I was when I was reading it because it was really impactful for me. And you just sent it and it's like, let me know what you think of this. And I, I really loved the beginning. And at that time, I think that's what you had. So, I mean, you just mentioned that an idea is not the same as a plot. Is the beginning, did you have a real sense of the story when you wrote that beginning, which survived no. through all of these different versions of the book? And that beginning was the only thing that survived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of other material. I, I lost a lot of work by going, nope, this is not the right story for these characters. And because the earlier iterations were a little more caperish, mm -hmm. a little more, um, I don't want to say slapsticky. They were There wasn't any slapstick, but it was a little more irreverent. It didn't have that same dark, not darkness, but um, intensity to it. Um, so, no, I wrote those opening sequences without even knowing where the story was going because I felt that that was the best way to introduce the uh, the level of animosity, not even animosity, the level of conflict between these twins um, and how aggressive they could be with each other. I, I needed to demonstrate how physical the these characters were and it wasn't like oh i hate that person and i never want to talk to them again and i needed it to be visual that you actually saw it in in action um so that's why that survived because it was still the best way to introduce the characters but the rest of the story <laughs> got trashed well i my recollection of where the story was going from the first, from the intro and, and the way it was kind of leading, you mentioned caperish. Um, the, the, the biggest thing that I recognize in the difference between the final version or, or the last version that I saw, which was not the final version, and the early version that was just sort of leading towards something is the level of complexity that is sort of a, a hallmark of yours as a writer. Um, that was once you got beyond the initial scene, there wasn't – you could sort of see where it was going, and it wasn't going to be this really complex Taylor Stevens story, which is what we wound up with. Right. And so, you know, I've talked on this sh show, we've discussed before uh, how important the inciting incident is, right? And so I knew that they were going to be these – young people who had been raised by a single mother who was herself an assassin and a former CIA agent. And I knew that there was going to be the issue of a missing father. But I didn't have the inciting incident. Like, why now? Why 
is this happening? What's the thing that's pulling it all together? And I didn't have the drama. I didn't have the the plot. I, I was really just I had no time to think it through. I was winging it, which is why I generally don't pants a book anymore, because I waste too much time trying to figure it out. And that's why I outline and I plot. And where it really came together for me was I understood, well, first of all, it was, I knew that the mom was going to be calling these guys home. And that's was going to start off the story, I, the, the action part of it. I, I knew that much. But what changed everything for me was the concept of when they get there, her house blows up. And that started me asking, why? Who did it? Why? And following that trail, because that would be the inciting incident for this story in present tense is this house blows up. Why? Okay. That's what kicks this story off, but it's the past that because of the mother, right, of, of her past that, that pulls this all together. So as I started asking myself those questions, why, who, what makes sense, what would cause someone to do all of this, then the plot started to came, come together because I had missed my own inciting incident. So hmm. that just goes to show you can be doing this for years and still make rookie mistakes, right? We have talked in the past on this show about the idea of writing a series and your philosophy of just putting everything you have into the first book and not really leaving anything on the table for future books because you never know what's going to happen. Correct. Is that what you did with this or were you, as you were plotting this out, were you plotting beyond the first storyline? It's really interesting you should ask that. This is the first book I've written where I leave threads open. And it's the story is still complete in its in and of itself, but you know that at the heart and soul of things there's still more to come. And I could safely do that this time around because I knew that there was a second book under contract. So in the case of uh, Monroe, for example, uh, that was the first, the informationist was the first book that I had ever written. I didn't even know if it would be sold, much less published, much less that there would be a second book. So I didn't know enough to think that far ahead. So when I had to write the second book, even though the characters followed, it wasn't really connected to the initial plot of the first book. The, the character arc continued, but each plot was completely self-contained. In this case, I knew that there was, I'd done this already before, and I knew that I would have the option to get the story in with the second book. And if I tried to cram everything into the first story, it would be too much. The story would lose its focus. So I was able to keep it self-contained as part of a larger story. Now, the interesting thing is, as I'm writing book number two, I know the same thing is going to happen again, where we're going to have a complete, the story itself will be complete and closed, and we're going to be closer to tying off what still hadn't been tied off in the first one, but I don't have a contract on book three. Hmm. So 
I'm just going to write it knowing that eventually one day I'm going to get around to writing book number three, just like eventually I'm going to get around to writing Monroe number six. It's just how long is it going to take me to get to it? <laughs> so, um, but I'm doing the same thing again. And I don't foresee dragging out that thread beyond the third book. Like, I think it's taking me three books to tell the complete story as a complete package, but each book itself is self-contained. And if you were to pick it up in the middle or pick it up at the end, you wouldn't be losing anything because the story itself is its own story. You are currently writing the second book. We talked about that last week, just the deadline pressure and things like that. When you started writing the second book, was there a character from the first book that you were most looking forward to getting back to in the second book? Um, wow. Well, you know, all of these characters are hard, hard characters to write um, just because of the complexity of their decision making. And anytime you have a character that's capable of analyzing information, which both of these characters are very I mean, it's what they've been taught their entire life is know your enemy and get ahead of your enemy. So it's there's a lot of analysis involved and trying to uh, cut that down to where it's not very wordy, but it makes sense to the reader that, of course, that's the only reason they would have come to that is incredibly taxing for me as I'm not that smart. I'm not as smart as my characters are and I have to fake it. Um so it's not that I was looking forward to it. Um, it. It Actually, I was dreading it because it's so difficult. But I, I do enjoy the characters, and uh, I enjoy getting to know them more and understand them on a uh, deeper psychological level. But also I knew that, um, how to say this without spoilers. So in the first, in Liar's Paradox, uh, there are four or five main characters uh, which is what makes it very complicated and why it's so different is because it jumps. The story propels itself forward like playing leapfrog, one character leaping over the next character, leaping over the next character, um, but always through that the different points of view. So you, you don't know for sure whose point of view is correct until you get to the end and it all ties together and makes sense. So I would knew I would be doing the same thing with this story. I would be eliminating a couple of those characters because they weren't pertinent, but I would be having to create another character who got almost as much, if not more, page time than the original did. And so I can't say that I was really looking forward to it, but I will really enjoy it once it's all finished. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like... Um... The old joke I don't about enjoy I, I don't enjoy writing. I enjoy having written. Yes, yes, yes exactly. That's exactly what that is. All right, you talked a lot about the the fact that the uh, part of the original idea for the story was this wildly dysfunctional family. How is it painful to write something like that? And how does how do how does the family evolve from book one to book two and and hopefully on to book three? Well, um, it was not painful to write it. It's hilarious, really, when you think about it. I have children, and there is sibling rivalry. And the kids are always... I, I'm constantly accused by both of them that I favor the other, which I point to them as being proof that I favor nobody, because I'm not making anybody happy. <laughs> and so I, I thought of that... 
that to take it to its, I was like, what if my own children were capable of killing each other? (laughs) (laughs) How how bad could this get? And then I thought also, um, you know, uh, I came from a pretty dysfunctional background myself, you know, growing up in the cult and watching, you know, children really truly by their parents and the 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 number that that does on your head and how that sense of abandonment never really goes away uh even if you work through your issues and so i've seen real life examples of that and it's a case of how could i you know what what if they they were capable of killing each other um so in, in some ways it's funny to think of it that way but it wasn't painful for me because i don't I don't really feel a lot of that baggage. You know, I've sorted through so much of it that it's almost foreign to me by now, you know, all these years later. But I know that it's real and I know that it does exist. And, you know, using my kids (laughs) as the basis for it to me, I think is quite hilarious. (laughs) Did they know this? No. (laughs) Do they listen to the podcast? I'm sure they don't since they're kids. No, they don't. No, but I'm sure eventually I will, you know, when they're a little older and a little more loving to each other, I could get away with Don't want to put any ideas into their heads. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's, that's where that came from. All right. So we are approaching the end of, of the podcast. So the book is Liar's Paradox. It's Arriving, the date that Amazon says it's arriving is December 18th, 2018. Is that when it's going to just pop and be available everywhere? Yes. And actually, speaking of that, um, I put out a newsy, you know, I think three or four weeks ago, where I talked about how I had been trying to, to work it out that people could order from a local bookstore and get autographed copies. Uh, and have them arrive at the same time that they would if they had ordered them from Amazon or whatever. And at the time that I wrote that, I said, it's not going to be possible to do this because there's all these issues. And then I heard from my publisher that they're trying to make it happen. Oh, cool. So I will be writing another update. In fact, I don't know. It's possible that by the time we actually air this show, because we're not recording it on the exact day that we're going to air it. Um, I will have already sent out an update saying how to, um, how to get those autographed copies. And, uh, so it's still being coordinated, but it looks like it's going to happen. And my publisher has also spoken to me about adding some special swag possibly to go along with those pre-orders. And they're doing a big pre-order campaign where anybody who's pre-ordered can submit to a big prize that's been given away, which I'm very excited about. I've seen it. I'm very jealous that I can't enter it for myself. <laughs> um, so this is all to encourage you guys. Get in con- If you're not getting my newsletters, if you're not getting updates like this on Facebook or wherever, because, you know, different people hear from me in different directions, and I don't always know who's getting what. And I'm kind of afraid sometimes of overloading people. I don't want this to be a buy my book, buy my book type thing. I want to provide value. But I also don't want to cheat people out of hearing from the news that they want to hear. So if you're not getting any of this news anywhere and you're only really listening to the podcast or the emails aren't getting to you because maybe they go to spam or, you know, you're sporadically on social media, contact me. I will be happy to send you the details, uh, assuming that I have them at the time you contact me. 
Um, but yes, absolutely contact me and I will tell you all the goodness. Okay, so pre-order doesn't necessarily mean pre-order from Amazon. You can pre-order from a local bookstore. Um, you can pre-order from Barnes & Noble or iBooks. Any, any, wherever you can buy books, you can pre-order the book, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a little more uh, effort involved to pre-order it from a brick-and-mortar store. It usually means calling in or, depending on the store, paying a visit in person. But as I was telling my peoples. Um, just because a book is published doesn't mean it's going to be available everywhere. Um, you know, depends on, there's just not enough shelf space for all bookstores to carry books. And, you know, maybe the bookstore in your area doesn't know that there is a demand for this book and it's going to be released right in the middle of the Christmas season. So even if you're planning to walk into a bookstore and order it, you're still better off calling it in ahead to make sure you actually have it when you want it. Um, that's my recommendation for why to pre-order, even if you don't plan to participate in trying to get the special goodies or an autograph book or anything like that. Well, and it's especially important to pre-order if you're planning on buying like 10 or 20 copies and give them away as Christmas gifts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The other thing, too, speaking of uh, Christmas gifts and all that, is uh, I would be happy if you contact me, send me a self-addressed stamp envelope or whatever. Um, you can find my mailing address on my website. I mean, it's, it's everywhere, uh, the emails. Uh, if you want me to include a Christmas card or some kind of hello card and you're going to plan to give the book as a gift and you want it to be more than just a book, uh, I'll go in on that with you and help to make it fun and special. You just need to contact me and let me know and uh, we'll coordinate that. And yeah, I like being a part of those special little things. So, And as a little teaser, we're, Taylor and I are coming up with ideas of little giveaways that we can do from the Taylor Stevens Show podcast to encourage people to enjoy this book. And, and oh, and one other thing. Um, in, in terms of ways of getting the book, and this is something Taylor usually says, I'll steal her thunder this time. Um, <laughs> it's not too early to contact your local library and tell them that you would like them to have this book so that you could get it. No, actually, that would that would be amazing. Like, if you're a listener who wants to support this show, but you're kind of like me where you just don't have a lot of time for reading, and because of that, you weren't planning to buy the book, Get, you can still contact your library and ask them to have it. And that is a way to support me and support the show and support this book launch. And it doesn't take a lot of effort and doesn't take any dollars. And I would appreciate it immensely. Okay, so that is it for this week's show. As you guys may know from listening week after week after week, Taylor is under some immense deadline pressure right now for book two in the Jack and Jill thriller series. So we are going to take next week off so that she can spend the entire week focused on her book, and then she can tell us how well it's come uh, the following <laughs> Tuesday. So you don't want to miss that, because I know she's going to say, phew, it's done. I'm so happy. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that would make me happy if I could actually report back with that. So thanks, thanks so much for listening, guys. We will be back in two weeks. We'll be with you soon. Thanks for sticking with us.